Welcome to Diversity Conversations, where we engage in thought-provoking dialogue to identify leadership solutions to today's most challenging conflicts. Stream live each week, Saturday, 9.30 a.m. to 11 a.m., hosted by diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist and CEOs Eric Ellis and Tommy Lewis. Join us and add your voice to this engaging diversity conversation. Good morning, Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, the United States, and the world. My name is Eric Ellis, and I'm the president and CEO of Integrity Development Corporation. And I'm joined this morning by my good friend and co-host, Tommy Lewis, president and CEO of Make It Plain Consulting. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Tommy. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. I'm doing very, very well. I must say I'm a little bit fatigued. Uh, I am fully vaccinated. And uh, so the uh, the vaccination is working in my system, slowing me down just a little bit. But as always, I'm excited to be with you today in our community having these diversity conversations. Absolutely, man. Same here. Fully vaccinated and, uh, uh, you know, uh, some minor discomfort for yeah. a short period of time. But ultimately, man, we are uh, coming out of the, the fear and the uh, tremendously uh, negative impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, how was your week, man? Let's just uh, talk about uh, how the week was. Yeah, so my week was pretty busy. Uh, you know, again, Eric, with the virtual platforms that we are on so often, uh, I personally have a tendency to overbook my schedule. I understand uh, that. Yeah, because I don't have to commute, get in the car, travel 20 or 30 minutes, get set up. Right. So I can I sometimes book uh, if a if a training or a conversation is going to end at 10 a.m. I'll book another at 11 to 12. Ooh, have a right. quick lunch for 30 minutes and then go 12, 30 to 1, 1 to 2, 2 to 3, et cetera. Right. This week, by Wednesday, uh, I was on that camel. It was it was hump week. It was hump week Wednesday. Uh, but it, overall, it went great. We got some uh, new clients. I uh, participated in some rich conversations with some other uh, people, not clients, but just other people who invited me. Right. And uh, it was great. It was great. Right. 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 Yeah. It's uh, I tell people, man, in these Zooms anymore, it feels like it's Monday, then it's Friday, then it's Monday, then it's Friday. Yeah. I don't, we don't even feel like we get a weekend, man. You just just keep it going, bro. <laughs> but you know what? You and I remember the lonely days yeah, of, not, <laughs> of not doing a lot of work. Every entrepreneur has had that experience. <laughs> and I know you <laughs> made the same promise to God. God, I will not complain. If you just give me some business, Lord. <laughs> 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 and now we're trying to take it back. Like, Lord, can I complain a little bit? <laughs> I want you to hear me and saying I want you to do anything different. Don't tap nothing down, you know. Hey, Lord, did it, that, Lord, did I really say that? Yes, son, you did. What, 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 see, see, what happened was, Lord, uh, you know, you know, I'm a child. You know, I don't know anything. <laughs> I was talking sideways. Right, scratch that. Scratch that. <laughs> yeah. I have come into myself. I understand the blessing. Right. And now I'm asking that you help me manage the blessing. Right. Exactly. I don't know what I said. You exactly. Know. Exactly. Exactly. And I tell you what, man, 
So I am so excited. Tommy, this was a great week for us as well. Got some new team members. Uh, got some people that are working with us in different ways. Uh, I am seeing uh, the power of inclusion, Tommy, uh, because you and I, and I'll just say this for anybody that's listening right now, that you have a degree of talent. Good for you. And so you have a chance to then introduce your talent to whatever it is, whatever area of life that you're working in. But if you take your talent and you match it up, you marry it up to somebody else's talent, you're going to advance the ball. And so that's what we're seeing, Tommy, is that uh, that as we begin to add other people's thinking into the work that we're doing, our solutions are better. And uh, they are objectively better. And so I'm grateful for that, man. I had a chance to do some work with uh, uh, finishing up sort of the wrap up with the uh, mediation at the University of Cincinnati between the president's office and uh, black students and uh, student government. And we had a powerful close, man. And uh, the president is really coming back from a real significant health crisis that he experienced. But he, he, he decided to continue to move forward and wade through this process with the students. And the students were so grateful for that, Tommy. And I remember where they started. You know, I remember where they started, Tommy. And to see them all so profoundly uh, talk about the value of this experience and what they learned and how it impacted them. And they're so uh, excited about uh, the things they're going to do on a, a moving forward basis to address racial uh, inequality, uh, racism, uh, and inclusion in the strategic ways, man. So I was really shedding a, a tear or two because, you know, I'm an alum of UC and being able to see these courageous young people, but to see a president and some administrators, Dr. Luzette Marshall and, and Chris and others, uh, just who are giving their all to try to get on the same page. Uh, around creating a, a wonderful environment for all students. So that was moving, man. I uh, also had a chance to uh, uh, work with one of my clients looking at phase two. And I've got this wonderful CEO. Uh, Tommy, this CEO is not playing about mm. making progress. The last time we met, I felt like we were in the, uh, uh, in the Zoom and he was like, somebody, I'm taking names, somebody's going to have to take the fall here because we're not moving fast enough. Is it a consultant? Is it you, Eric? Is it my executives? Who is it? I mean, he was like, I said, well, hold on, CEO. I said, let's just give everybody a little grace, you know, that 2020 pandemic thing. And uh, I said, but I'm going to come back to you. He's an engineer with something that is going to lay out exactly what we do on phase two. And uh, we came into the phase two, man. I had my team on the uh, Zoom. And I'll tell you, I, I just love the way he was on the edge of his seat with questions and comments and da da da. But you know, the most beautiful sight I saw, Tommy, at the end, like this. Yes, sir. I'm good. He said, I'm good. Yep. Uh, no more questions. And uh, so I feel great about that, Tommy. Isn't it exciting to work with some companies, Tommy, where the leaders are really interested and passionate around making change? It is exciting. Uh, right. And I say it's exciting because we do the hard work. The feeling right. work, and right. that's that's the uh, empathy, that's the personalization of the work right. uh, of the journey, and then there's the kind of the logical, strategic, you know, organizational approach as well, uh, and then there's the community, be, be right. it the internal community or external community. 
But I would say it's more, it's very fulfilling when a, a, a person at that level, the C-suite level, who may not have had as much experience over the last 20, 30, 40 years as they have today, and then they get it in their soul. Right. And it drives their thinking and ideology. Right. And then they use their hands to leverage their power and influence to get things done. Right. Sometimes, Eric, there's a disconnect. I have power. I I see this is the right thing to do, but That's I really right. don't feel it. That's Therefore, right. It's not sustainable. Right. It was very encouraging, very exciting when right. the light bulb goes goes off and it's like, I get it now. Right, right. This week, I also had a chance to uh, uh, sort of brief uh, one of my CEOs of color uh, mm. around uh, the organization. And I tell you, Tommy, man, it was refreshing, man, to be talking to an old master, you know, who uh, looks like you, uh, who's, uh, you know, valuing your input at a whole nother level, man. Uh, and, and so that was encouraging. And he just I was giving him a perspective and he was just frantically taking notes. Uh, and we blew through an hour and something like it was nothing. He said, Eric, if I didn't have something else, you know. And so that was really inspiring. Uh, I've got another one of my clients that is in Minneapolis. And so the CEO sent me a letter to look over that he wanted to sort of put out to his people. And, and I gave him some input on that. And, uh, and then I, I reached out to him and said, if you need me to come to Minneapolis uh, to support you and your, uh, you know, your associates, I'll do that, you know, because uh, people are hurting right now, Tommy, and uh, just a lot is going on. That's part of what you and I want to talk about uh, today. And we want to invite our community to weigh in. Tracy Art is so glad to have you with us this morning. Buddy Campbell, we're just grateful for anybody that will spend time with Tommy Lewis and myself as we explore these interesting, exciting, uh, sometimes uh, challenging diversity conversations. And so, Tommy, I uh, uh, raised a number of, of, of issues. And, and, and so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm posing, so where are the answers? And I started with this sort of uh, uh, the issues of violence that we're seeing. Uh, certainly the Derek Chauvin uh, trial. I haven't been watching it as closely. I've been sort of watching some of the, you know, commentary around. It's just too kind of too painful uh, to watch those things up close, man. I think that it traumatizes us further. So I haven't spent a lot of time looking directly at it, but we're sort of hearing where we are. But then other African-Americans and other people of color died this week as well. Tommy, what are we experiencing, man? It looks like the pandemic was, you know, headed by on lockdown. And so we didn't have as much violence. And then as soon as things start opening up, uh, we're seeing some of these challenges. And then I've got another piece of data I want to throw at you, man, that uh, I was looking at this morning that gave me even greater concern. So one thing that we're experiencing right now, Eric, is that as a as a country, maybe even as a, a general culture, we haven't learned. OK, we haven't learned at all. What do I mean by that? They say if you if you if you haven't learned from your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And so the times that we're living in right now are the 1850s, 1860s times. Mm. Many of us were not around, but those who understand history, both the history that's told by the oppressor as well as history told by the oppressed, realize that there's some connectivity between what they experienced, our people, human beings, 
in the 50s, 60s of, of 1800s, as well as before, right. into the 1930s, 1940s, when we had a spike in racial and ethnic hate, hate mm -hmm. crimes, hate speech, hate policies, right? And now in 2020, 2021, we are repeating that history. Mm. At the end of the day, there is an undercurrent of hate. Not the country. The land itself, Eric, does not hate anything. Okay. Right. 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 It is what it is. It will be right. here, right, when we all leave. Right. The hate is in the people that are uh, currently have dominion on the earth. Right. Here's the unfortunate thing is that there is a an ideology or a paradigm around education. Right. And that is that education is the intergenerational transmission of culture. Mm -hmm. What's happening right now? We have uh, older generations, baby boomers, Gen X, maybe even before baby boomers, the silent or veteran generation who has promoted and educated the next generation on who and how they hate. And that's articulated through verbal uh, violence, uh, written violence, and sometimes most traumatically, Eric, physical violence. Folks are killing each other. Right. That's, that's my take. Again, right. going back to the 1850s, 1860s, do your, read your history. The same type of fear was bestowed upon marginalized communities. Right. And what I what I've uh, what is sort of uh, gotten in my mind a bit, Tommy, as we think about uh, George Floyd and Derek Chauvin, is that uh, I've described it almost like this, that we're traumatized in ways that may supersede uh, Jim Crow times. And, 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 you know, because we're seeing it all the time. Uh, in other words, we heard about lynchings, you know, uh, but we didn't all see them. Yeah. And so we have to sort of watch Derek Chauvin put his knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes, 29 seconds. And, and here's the scary part, Tommy, that uh, with all the case that the prosecutor has put on, we're still wondering, we're still left wondering if Derek Chauvin is going to be found guilty. Yeah. So it, 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 the thought goes through our minds. Does it take all of this to be able to prove one rogue wrong officer should should be put in jail for his crimes? And then uh, with all of this, do we still have to wonder whether he will be found guilty? And so how high is that, you know, that, that, that line? And so I think that's, that's part of the challenge that we face. And then, you know, that's not even over. And another young man is killed. Yeah. And so, uh, but Tommy, here's another little thing. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm throw a little uh, uh, sand in the wound mm -hmm. uh, in this way. So I, I started looking at the statistics, uh, Tommy, for uh, sort of... Uh, unarmed black people or black people that are killed by the cops every year. And it's about 230 to 250. Mm -hmm. And then I looked at another number. How many black people die from homicide each year? And that's about 7,400. So Tommy, help me to understand 
where we should be, where our thinking should be when we look at what's happening with police officers and certainly that's tragic, but that we are dying at the hands of other black people 30 times that. What's your perspective on it, Tommy? And why don't we hear more about that, talk more about that? So one is it's the, it's the psychological impact of oppression through generations. What happens is that those people who are marginalized and oppressed, discriminated against, uh, prejudiced against, over time, their trauma becomes re-traumatization, re-traumatization, and re-traumatization. And so at, coupled with institutional and institutional and structural systems that keep them bound in certain communities of poverty, keep them bound from access to employment and, and health care, uh, keep them bound with uh, real good access, easy access to vices like drugs, alcohol and, and guns and, okay. and the expression of some form of violence. So coupled with all that, when there's literally nothing else to do Mm. and one is psychologically filled with hate, hate about their lived conditions, that I don't wanna be here, I did not put myself here, and the generations before me experienced the same, I am going to lash out. Right. And unfortunately, that lashing out is within the immediate community. Right. Because Eric, uh, if, if I'm in a particular community, right, more income, limited transportation and all that good stuff, I am not going to travel an hour to another community to go to kill them. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm right. going to do that dirt right here. Those right. are my Right. And every community does that. So there's more black on black crime, white on white crime, uh, Latinx crime on Latinx crime. Everybody's killing the people that are mostly around them. Uh, and I think that uh, they're, uh, so for me, uh, I do believe that if my child dies, uh, I'm not especially uh, put at ease if their killer is somebody that looks like them. So I think that we really do have challenges that we have to be working on multiple fronts to sort of deal with the violence that exist uh, in the world around us. We're seeing that uptick in violence against the Asian community, uh, you know, 3,800, uh, you know, sort of uh, racist incidents over the last year, uh, mostly against women. Uh, and, and Tommy, here's the thing, I want, I want to jump to this just a little bit, and if our community wants to weigh in, I certainly welcome mm-hmm. that. But Tommy, I was looking at this, uh, this article called The Fractured uh, Power how to overcome tribalism. And it was an article that uh, was written uh, by a former uh, US ambassador to uh, uh, the African Union. And he talked about uh, this uh, conflict assessment framework, the CAF framework that America uses to sort of begin to uh, uh, analyze the threat of tribalism in countries around the world. Mm And we've never really utilized that on ourselves, looking at the kind of civil unrest and political unrest that's happening to determine what is the risk that that conflict has not only over there, but in other places around the world. 
And we are now one of the highest on that, you know, sort of on that rating around division. And yet we uh, don't reckon with that. Uh, and Tommy, I, you know, so so I, I look at that and say that who is working strategically on that and uh, how does all this tie together and how does our work sort of land in the midst of this? Well, there's a number of people and organizations and systems working in tandem toward it. Uh, the the challenge is is so large and extreme that it, it's it's very difficult to see the 100, 200, 300 organizations that are trying to impact positively impact this challenge. When you know you have a few hundred million people embedded in this, and so in every community there are uh, people that are doing what they do some of it is not known or heard eric some of it is not known or heard and right. they're doing it basically uh you know without recognition without the need of recognition so that's a great question because we can't put our thumb on who exactly is moving the needle right where where we have a number of folks and then and then we just you know we have haters that keep us talking as well Right, right, right. I don't know what this comment is here. Uh, I've had enough of this. You know, I won't let my child become a victim of history or the two of you. I don't know what that means. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that uh, these issues are complex. Uh, there are no easy answers to them. Uh, we have to be able to explore where we are and why we are there. And I think that uh, the limitations in our thinking uh, really uh, uh, constrain our ability to find solutions. And so I believe that sometimes we sit back and part of what they say about tribalism is that when it gets difficult is when it gets so ingrained that when your cultural and religious elements then get tied into your politics, mm then you start getting into a place where it's harder for you to, to untangle yourself from that process. Mm -hmm. And so that is a part of what we're seeing. And so you and I professionally are, 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 are committed to trying to untangle those things so that people might be able to live in harmony and be able to achieve their best life by working collaboratively as opposed to uh, you know working against one another, and to do that, we've got to take some time to explore all angles of where we are. I love the way that you came back and answered the question around you know why do we see so much violence against ourselves? Well, you know if you put uh, you redline people into neighborhoods that they can only get housing with other poor people, and you know that's all you see on a regular basis, then it's going to impact sort of how, and, and then we, we've seen all the things around drugs and guns and all those things and how they're poured into our communities. Those things create challenges. Yeah, they create challenges, Eric. And as you were sharing, I'm thinking, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, violence and hate and oppression. And we have some other things to talk about as well. Um, but I would say that if, if you don't like hate, if you don't like being a part of hate or seeing hate or being re-traumatized by hate, either speech or actions, um, then you're leaning in toward the solution. Okay. 
In other words, you we have to recognize that it, it that it exists. Right. That's right. Right. Yeah, that's right. If so, if 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 you are one or we are one that says, I see it, I'll close my eyes. I hear it, I'll close my ears, right? And I I I actually hear people doing it such that I'm I'm not gonna say anything. I'll close my mouth to not be an advocate for love or for uh, equity or for freedom for all, then then we may be a part of the problem, right? If we, ignorance is bliss. Right. Ignorance is bliss. And then ignorance is ignorance. <laughs> right. right. So when you don't, we, when we don't know, don't understand, Sometimes there's some misinformation. Sometimes there's a a hidden or ulterior motive around our thoughts, comments, and actions. Uh, So as we look at, uh, so I think that number one, I don't think that we spend enough time celebrating things that are positive. Uh, You know, our young people, some of the wonderful things that they're doing on a regular basis. These students that I uh, was uh, working with at the University of Cincinnati, Many of the administrators noted that when they were in college, they reflected back on what they were doing when they were at those ages. And their conclusion was, I was nowhere close to that. I think that we are seeing an uh, increase in activism from young people. Young people that are going into workforce are now placing greater demands on institutions uh, to take action to do what's right. And, 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 and sort of, you know, uh, focus on, uh, you know, impacting the communities in more positive ways. I think that that's a change that, uh, you know, we, we can reflect on and say that that's a positive change. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of advocacy that's happening right now. And uh, kudos to the younger generation, uh, whatever you would consider younger, even if it's one year younger than you, they're younger or it can be all the way down to grammar school. The, the next generation has a very different lived experience. And COVID of last year, as well as this year, it proved how flexible, how resilient the students of, of this day are. Right? The students were very resilient to adapting to certain changes in the educational process, which was very different than their parents and grandparents. Parents and grandparents say, uh, no, you got to go into the building. No, you 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 don't protest. You just take it, or you protest in a way that is receivable to the person or people that is discriminating or oppressing you. Right? That is an oxymoron. Right? To go to the people, whoever that is. Right? Go a woman going to men and saying, all of you all are sexist. And I want you to feel comfortable with me being uncomfortable. What? Eric, that's what people are asking now. That's what they're asking. They're asking, how can you make me feel comfortable having this discussion, having this conversation? How can you make me feel comfortable? Right. I I don't know how I can make you feel comfortable. Right. But I can have the conversation. Right. Without, you know, without you know, silliness, right? We can have fun, but then it's like, I don't know what that means, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, 
right? Uh, poof, be gone. Right, right. Not going to happen. You're going to have to put some work into bringing about change. Uh, let me ask you this, Tommy. This is a, sort of another reality for you and I. Uh, when a person gets up every day, you have decisions that you can make. One of the ones that you and I have to make is how much time we spend focusing on solving uh, problems and challenges that affect us, our family, and our cultural uh, you know, group versus uh, you know, trying to bring about solutions in the broader society. How do you uh, sort of balance, uh, and it may not even be intentional, but how do you think about that, Tommy? Because some people have dedicated their lives to dealing with things that affect black people and other people of color and other marginalized uh, people. And some people feel like they're, they're, what they're calling is, is to sort of deal with issues across the broader society. How should people think about that? How do you think about that? That's a great question, Eric, uh, because for me, it's not an e easy answer right. at all. That's it's actually right. a, a consistent uh, debate, an uh, internal debate, a struggle, uh, a struggle between uh, being a human, a humanistic person to want the best out of humans, like you share in your music video, Fight for Humanity, right? That's one piece. And then the other piece is, if we're all humans, why is my experience so very different? And I didn't ask for it. And so that that process can be exhausting. Uh, it takes a lot of work to get get up and fight against things that are very, very real, but others may not think they're real. Let me give you an example. Right. Uh, I'm able-bodied right now, God willing. Right. There's been times as an able-bodied person, I've I've woken up in the morning and had some some stiffness, some soreness, could not move as well as I did the day before. And so I think in my head, I say out loud, Eric, I wonder what this is. And I'm right back. This is a I need to slow down, get this fixed. I may call the doctor. Hey, doc, what's going on? Right. Does a little twist, do a little blood work. Right. That's a privilege. Mm -hmm. What if I, I was disabled? And when I woke up in the morning, I had to think about my limitations. Right. And one limitation is how do I get out of the bed? Right. Eric, everyone doesn't get out of the bed. Right. There are people right now that are bedridden. Right. There are people around them caring for their every need, food, water, bathing, etc. And so for me to wake up in the morning, I have to kind of remove those barriers of my own privilege. Mm. And that's what motivates me to work with and help other people that I acknowledge my privilege and I want to ensure that any challenges you have, if I'm around, I can help remove those challenges or assist you in dealing with those challenges. That mm -hmm. is a cognitive decision I made, conscious decision. Right. And so we are, I'm not here, uh, you're not here, we're not here to be critical of people for whatever choice yeah. they make. Not at all. Everybody has the free will to make whatever choice you want to make. 
but I find it uh, sort of a part of my character, a part of my makeup, a part of my calling to be uh, multifaceted. In other words, to, uh, to respond to the issues of my own family, uh, to work on the issues inside of me, uh, to try to help uh, be an advocate, uh, to, to address issues that happen within our community, but also to build bridges across all communities and to have love for humankind. Uh, because I believe that, uh, that without that, uh, we're just you know, caught up in tribalism. You yeah. know, as I was looking at this, Tommy, man, I was just, uh, I was looking at this and I was so fascinated and they, they gave some uh, sort of, uh, you know, I was thinking about this and I was thinking Tommy's great debate. Mm -hmm. That's part of what they're saying is one of the solutions that people have to be able to get into intelligently debating ideas and not get so tied up into their loyalty to their own tribe yeah. that they no longer have the freedom because part of this unhealthy tribalism is restricting the freedom that people have to connect with other communities outside their own. Wow. And, wow. So, and so what you're doing there, and I want you to talk a bit about that great debate, but a, a part of what you're doing there is the answer. It means that we have to find healthier ways to debate ideas and to not find ourselves getting trapped up into ignorant loyalty to our tribe uh, without thought and without having the freedom to expand our mental uh, boundaries, if you will. Yeah, the, the great debate, Eric, uh, the, the great debate that I've subscribed to was created in the fall of 1985 at Tennessee State University by Dr. Amiri El-Hadid. And he created it uh, as, a, uh, as a professor on campus. And he, he observed that although there were collegiate students on campus, in the classroom, they were not always in intellectual discourse. It was more like the educational banking system. Okay. And that banking system is teacher or professor knows they make a deposit in the student that does not know. The student returns for another deposit, another deposit, another deposit, but rarely does that student challenge the deposit. Mm. Right? So the great debate was founded as an intellectual and a cultural form debating contemporary issues of the day. Mm. In 1990, the great debate issue was, is America ready for a black president? Okay. That was in 1990. Right. And I wanted to emphasize that because some of some of us, my, myself included, may say, we've all, always been asking that question. But did we debate both sides in all right. sides? Right. So the sides are uh, from one side, maybe a, a Dr. King uh, perspective and then a Malcolm X perspective and maybe a synthesis of the two. Right. The skill is, although I am of my particular tribe, my thought, my experience, can I articulate civilly mm -hmm. my points? Mm. Can I listen actively and civilly to your points? Right. And is there any synthesis, common ground, such that I don't necessarily win 
and I don't necessarily lose. Because what happens is, Eric, that most times in competition or debate, uh, people get riled up about winning or losing and don't right. really understand the journey of learning discourse. Okay. So I know I've used the word discourse many times. You all can look it up. Right. right? But the great debate since 1985 has traveled the country. And last evening, we had a virtual great debate. Right. With, you know, Tennessee, I'm sorry, with Kentucky State University and Xavier University. And the topic was this is America. Hope, hate, or hypocrisy. Ooh. Woo. And we and the students came with it. These are young people uh, uh, and they came with it. And so uh, I, I look forward to posting for those who missed it. I look forward to posting on Monday or Tuesday uh, the, the the great debate. The producers are you know packaging it for right. social media. But, yeah, we've been doing it since 1985. That is awesome. Tommy, give us a sense of some of the issues that were being raised in the great debate. Yeah. So uh, one, a few issues. One was that uh, America has never lived up to its true creed. Okay. Its true creed around freedom and liberty for all. That even though uh, you know that creed was created at a certain time where other human beings were enslaved and that they were not considered human or they were not considered part of the all. Now, in recent years, in present day, the point was, are we still living in the creed of 500 years ago, mm -hmm. right? And so the, the point around what is the culture of America mm. and who tells that story, that narrative? Right. right. Another issue that came out is that even with the, the acts of hate, violence, bias, of yesteryear, those acts continue even as recent as yesterday. Right. So the point was being made, one, who or what is doing the violence? Call that out. Who? What culture right. is doing that violence? Right. And two, um, how are those that are impacted by the violence responding such that they create change. In other words, mm. point came up, if a young boy gets shot and killed again tomorrow, and that community raises up, they end up on television talking about, so, be it you know, a homicide or a police shooting, whatever the case may be, and they're talking about enough is enough. When does actually enough become enough. Right. Right. So, the, you know, we were talking about that. Uh, the students were speaking from the Malcolm X perspective from the 50s and the 60s, as well as connecting that to modern day. Right. And the Malcolm X perspective one was protect your your culture, your own identity first. And and he says is racial. Some folks are racially and ethnically unidentifiable. Right. Dr. King turn the other cheek, Malcolm X said, you'll run out of cheeks. Right. So that's what they were debating yesterday, that I think right. we run out of cheeks and we don't know what America is. Is it hope? Is it hate? Or is right. it 
hypocrisy. That was a great debate. I love that. And then, and then I want to pivot from that and say, let's juxtapose what the students did yesterday yeah. up against what I saw yesterday on, uh, on TV with Jim Jordan uh, attacking uh, Dr. Fauci. I didn't, around, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, around the, his freedoms to, uh, uh, to not have to wear a mask. And he was literally blaming Dr. Fauci for taking away our, our voice and our freedoms to live how we want to live. And Tommy, I'm looking at all of that and saying, what in the world? How do we get there that you're mad at Dr. Fauci because we have a pandemic that has taken 560,000 American lives which that number has been multiplied because of our tribalist ignorance. And so, Tommy, where, where is the line between uh, value-added debate and foolish tribalism? Oh, Eric, uh, I, I want to go to the community on that one. Because <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what type of mindset would minimize or isolate a global pandemic, not just American, a global right. pandemic, right. and the truths that people are catching and contracting a virus and, and, and passing on, right. and directing that to one person that says it will be a recommendation to put on the mask. At the end of the day, those people all of us, Eric, at the end of the day, we don't have to put on a mask. Right. That's our freedom. Now, we may not be able to get into certain uh, private uh, organizations or businesses. Right. But for crying out loud, the, if, if you don't want to wear a mask and you're blaming Dr. Fauci. Right. And you're blaming him without a mask on. You have freedom. <laughs> I don't care if you're in your house. I don't care if you're at home or right. in the mall. You have freedom. Right. And even if you're in the mall or a business and you are mad at Dr. Fauci and you're spewing out this venom of hatred and disapproval without a mask, what what's going to happen to you or others around you? You right. may not care. Right. You may not know that somebody around you dies because of your negligence and irresponsibility. Right. And so what we're seeing, Tommy, in part then, is we're seeing tribalism. The fuel of tribalism is about power. It's about trying to determine how I can amass attention and power and a group of people that will uh, go where I lead them. And so people that are acting uh, to, to the ends of power at any cost are so harmful to society. And yet it's so difficult to call them out because they're like the, I, I like the sirens in the mythologies. 
that would sing songs that would draw men into the water to take their own lives. I think that's what this is. That in other words, it's hard to fully see it when they're singing to you a song that sounds so sweet to your own ethnocentric perspective and point of view. To some extent, what they said is one of the things that you need, Tommy, to get out of this is leadership. Okay. They say without leadership, you don't get out of this. And so, so Biden, part of what Biden has to do is bring leadership that looks to bridge the gap and not further uh, expand on the tribalistic division. And yet that's hard to do, isn't it, Tommy? Yeah, it's hard to do. Because the side that you're working with, they want their own vengeance. Uh, they see their own points of view. Uh, they can demonize the other side so easily and so readily. Uh, and uh, I, I also saw in this, Tommy, uh, the, the, the real value. I've said this for a while, but I, I think we're beginning to see the value of an army of people like you, but also uh, community uh, uh, organizers, uh, activists, uh, 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 you know, people, you know, uh, ecumenical leaders. We need all of that, man, to help us see past our own toxic brew of, of tribalist instincts. Eric, I, I think this is a great conversation. You have me thinking, uh, even, even speechless. But and I appreciate you kind of bringing this up. One thing that came to mind was, uh, you know, when did health and safety become political, right? When, when did someone's health become politicized? Right. And, and, and who's driving, and it's not the who as one person, it, it may be a system, it may be a culture, uh, to your point that you well said around, you know, the, the tribalism that, and I love that about the sirens, there are people listening to the sirens jumping in the water. They don't know how deep it is. They don't know how rough or calm it is. Right. They're hypnotized and mesmerized. Right. By the sound that reverberates right. with their own spirit. Mm. And so the, the siren, that that reverberation. Right. right. It speaks to the hate that's in right. me. And therefore, I jump in the pool or the waters of hate. Mm. And some people say, I hear that siren of hate, that song of hate. And I've decided to remove that cord. That cord. Mm. Right. And that that cord is part of my identity. Mm. It takes courage. Eric, it takes courage to be self-reflective on ways that we used to behave and think and, 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 and do, right? And say, I no longer want to do that. The, 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 the woman beater who says, I don't want to do that anymore, right? The racist, and I wanna put a pause here, Eric, for our community. I've done training over the last three or four months, if you will, around racial equity. 
And oftentimes people in the class, in the session, be it virtual or in person, they always seem to connect race with people of color. And most particularly just black folks. We all have a race. So when we talk about racism, racism is where a particular racial group is prohibited access, power, freedoms, as all other peoples simply because of the skin or their race. Right. And so when you talk about power, Eric, and people having power and complaining, there's some people that are complaining about their loss of liberties and freedoms, but they really don't have power. Right. However, they are a siren to those who have power. And they hear my brethren who are maybe of a certain social economic status or educational status or uh, influence and power status, they are crying out, we're losing our freedoms and I have the power of the pen. Mm -hmm. And put that power into policy and create that policy to withstand 25, 50, 75, 100 years. And in some cases, it's a creed or a constitution that's withstood the test of time over five and 600 years. The power of the pen. So other folks that say, uh, you know, I don't have any power. You may have power. And another say, uh, I have a whole bunch of power, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, Fauci, you're taking my power, my freedom. Right. And at the end of the day, uh, you, you're just talking from the four walls in your place. Right. It's frustrating. Right. Let's look at what the community is uh, saying here. Yeah. We're going to bring up a couple of these. Uh, not about the right answer, rather, what's the right question? Humans move in the direction of the questions they are asked. The dominant culture puts a premium on answers. It's a trap uh, to keep things uh, the same. I hmm. would agree. Right. I would agree. Right. Right, right. Let's see what uh, Charlie Winburn has to say here. Uh, why are we here in the universe in the first place? Uh, is to bless others. Uh, people who won't wear a mask have zero interest in blessing others. Uh, and uh, I'll tell you, I just think that uh, what's sad about this, uh, Tommy, is that uh, people will literally look around and see where there are vulnerable people. Uh, and, and try to find a wedge issue that you can garner their support, even if it's to their own demise. Yeah. How do you justify that, Tommy? And, uh, uh, and I'll tell you that uh, one of the things that this article does is it balances its sort of criticism of both sides. Mm -hmm. And it says that it, it, it's very it becomes very difficult to work with the other side and you're down to almost a complete stalemate. Mm -hmm. And where we are today is that there is almost no incentive at all to work with the other side. And uh, Tommy. And so they say when you start getting there, you have to start looking at maybe a new constitution. And you have to look at a new way of doing things because where you are right now uh, is sort of just the Trojan horse. 
and 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 everybody on the outside is sort of looking at America and having big fun laughing at our ignorance right now as Russia and anybody else can play with us because they've learned our kryptonite is yeah. cultural tribalism. Yeah. And so everybody wants in on it because we're ignorant. And so, Tommy, it's easy for people to say that there are folks out there doing it. It's hard for people to own that sometimes that's me. Yes. And that's part of what you and I try to bring to people and try to keep working on ourselves mm -hmm. is where's the balance line uh, between when I'm supposed to push the system to change and when I'm supposed to say, well, no, maybe I need to change. And I'll tell you, Tommy, I, I'll just go one step further. I think that that exists around all of these shootings mm -hmm. that you do have to still be able to take them one at a time and not just put them all in a pile uh, because uh, uh, we still do need police officers. Uh, there's some people that are saying that we might need to uh, take police officers out of traffic stops. So that may be a change that may be helpful and put somebody else in the traffic stops. If it's expired tags and stuff like that, why does a police officer need to be in that giving an opportunity for a death to occur? Uh, but uh, you know, you know, well, I, th I think I think Eric there that, and that's a great a great point about the involvement of law enforcement, uh, and as you and I talk about often about artificial intelligence, AI. There is going to be a time in the near future, how rapidly technology changes and evolves and, and it's implemented, as well as adapted into our culture, our cultural norms. There's going to be a time in the near future where those uh, traffic violations are going to be captured on video. Mm -hmm. And what reminded me to say that when you made your comment is that I've noticed and observed an increase of people running red lights. Right. Uh, not just, you know, kind of rushing up and catching that yellow light underneath right, the light. Right. Looking both ways and running it. I'm talking about a three-lane byway, a four-lane byway, where everyone is stopped at the red light and right. one, two, and three cars rush through such that the, the crossing traffic has to yield on a green light. Oh, man. Yes. I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing an increase in different cities. And so what that looks like is that's a behavior that's becoming a norm where police officers are not there to witness the violation. But if there was a, a AI, artificial intelligence, that can capture things just like going through a toll bridge. And some of you go through tolls all the time and they, they take pictures and send you the payments all the time. I right. know for a fact. Right. A lot of tolls. Right. right? And they just send you the bill, $18, $24, whatever, and you get it three or four weeks later. And I don't even remember. Yep, they have the license plate, time, you know, photo stamp. That may be where we're coming from, mm. such that law enforcement can utilize their human resources and financial resources, their funding in places that they know based on data that it's needed. Okay. Police off police stations are highly sophisticated, highly sophisticated. 
And in most major metropolitan cities in this country, police and fire, they yield about 70% of that city's spend, that expense, right? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? They get the funding, but there's not enough police officers in certain places because we're not capturing those series of people that are running those red lights that is an accident and death waiting to happen that may not even make the news such that we know about it. Mm -hmm. Just like with homicides, Eric. Right. There's a lot Tom, of homicides not making. Right. Let me ask you this, Tommy. So which one is going to win the day? Our desire to elect leaders that will fight for our cultural interests or our desire to elect leaders who will be fair to all? Oh, it's gonna be, we're gonna elect leaders based on the, the cultural differences. Mm. That is gonna win over. Mm. It's, it's, it's not about being fair. Right. Eric, unfortunately, I don't wanna be, you know, down or Debbie, but I, I would say that Folks are electing leaders because of the selfishness and the tribalism, like you mentioned, that they will do what I need them to do based on whatever category. Right. And so we so we got Biden. And I think that we got Biden because he was able to win over uh, slightly more people who thought he would be balance. So I think that that uh, case can be made for that. In other words, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the tribalist left had something else in mind. They didn't have Biden in mind, right. uh, but he was able to garner. But once he gets into position, he's being pulled apart, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Most extreme. So the most extreme is tugging real hard uh, around. You got to do our bidding. It's our time now. And uh, Tommy, I think that we have to keep fighting, man, for all people if we are going to be a civil society. And yeah. that's really the question. Let's see what Dan has said to us again. Uh, chosen accountability is stronger than held accountability. The dominant culture attachment to po uh, policies, uh, rules, et cetera, keeps things the same. Mm. Yeah. No doubt about that. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And so, uh, and so, those are some of the challenges you see. Now, let's 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 move a little bit, Tommy, into some of what's happening in corporate America now. Okay. And so, all of them are having to sign on. I I, I like this uh, that companies are being pressured or asked to sort of sign on to uh, to letters that are saying that they're standing against sort of uh, the uh, electoral sort of. Uh, control that's happening across the country where in states, uh, Republican uh, uh, legislatures are really moving to sort of, uh, you know, increase voter suppression. And so corporations are weighing in. Let me hear your perspective on why now corporations are weighing in. I think most of them stayed out of the Trump years. They actually... Yeah. It just seemed like it was too volatile for them and the cost would be too high. And so uh, we're seeing, uh, you know, companies now sign on to this letter uh, that says voter suppression 
uh, we're, you know, CEOs, we're standing against that. How long is that going to last? What do you think about that? So I think it's going to last a, a couple of years, maybe maybe two years or so, give or take, um, because it's just now launching. It's going to climb, come to a plateau or apex and then continue to ebb and flow, climb and fall, climb and fall. I think that precipice is that the the disenfranchised voter yeah. are, are citizens and taxpayers and yeah. residents as well as consumers. Right. And so the businesses, regardless of what the line of business or industry is, you have to have consumers. You have to have customers. Right. Right. And the most effective way of branding and promoting your products and services is literally word of mouth mm -hmm. through your six or eight degrees of influence, telling those people to use your services. When I am unable to activate and participate in my right, my constitutional and national right to vote, I will think that it's the system that's prohibiting me to do that. Right. And then I align that systemic oppression with companies who are conglomerates, mega companies, that they too are part of the system. Yep. Companies, Eric, know this in the psyche of the consumer. Mm -hmm. So they will write a letter, a stance that we don't want, we do not agree, not don't want. We don't agree with, with, with arresting the, 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 the unalienable rights of our consumers and citizens. Mm -hmm. That's what they're saying, right, for the most part. Right. And these conglomerates, these large companies are paying corporate taxes in those cities and states. It's a tremendous amount of revenue. A revenue, a revenue that's paying for itself. So, out of the one hundred million dollars of, of of unemployment taxes that said company is investing in that state, that state invests some of those dollars. And so, 20, 30 percent, just throwing out random numbers, that's invested. And over a 20, 30 year period, it may double or not triple. Mm -hmm. The companies are saying, "We know this. The jig is up." Right. We know you need us and we need our consumers. So we don't agree with voter suppression. Right. And then uh, the other thing they said in this article that creates or magnifies the problem is that politicians are working aggressively to gerrymander. Yeah. And they say both sides will do that. Yep. So it's like, Tommy, as soon as I... Uh, get a majority, then we start trying to gerrymander the districts so that we don't have to negotiate at all. Nope. We, we have our people, so we no longer have to debate. And they're saying that that's part of our challenge and it makes a nation more divided when people do not have to compromise. Uh, and, and, I, and I don't know, Tommy, Here's what I'm seeing, Tommy, and I think that people are going to have to rise again and take back our politics. Okay. okay. 
okay. is that where we are right now is snakes and, and scandalous idiots are leading the way. And there is no honor uh, or very little honor in, 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 in politics. And, uh, and maybe that is mirroring uh, some of our, our, our cultural desires to have it my way, back to Burger King. I want to mm -hmm. have it my way. Uh, and I think that, Tommy, we've, we've got to find ways to rise above that if this nation is to survive. And in many ways, if the world is going to survive, because what we're looking at right now, uh, Tommy, is a world where as they begin to come up, then they need more uh, natural resources. They consume more natural resources. And so wealthier nations are like, hey, we've had the benefit of being able to consume as much natural resources as we want. Now all these other countries are coming up. Yep. And so yep. we're actually doing things then that are, again, stacking the deck for us and against others. Uh, Tommy, I'll say one last thing about this, because I think that what I'm saying is that inclusion is in our self-interest. So if I said over the last month or two that people are self-interest oriented, then what we have to learn is that inclusion is ultimately in my best interest. Mm. And all you have to do is look at, I'll, I'll sort of make a point that right now the richer nations are consuming the vaccine. Mm. But they're saying there's a number that's attached to if you allow COVID-19 to run rampant in other poorer nations, that you're ultimately going to reap uh, the hell of that. Because the, the kind of, uh, uh, what are they saying, those uh, uh, adaptations, with variations, the variances that mutations. get created, those mutations are coming here. And so if you don't address it over there, then it is coming over here. And then the people that we need to do so much of the manufacturing work of this country is affected as well. So I guess I'm trying to say we've got to find a way to help people understand that there is a case to work on more than just your own selfish self-interest. Yeah, 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 a, a great conversation, Eric. Uh, you know, and I appreciate our, our, our community, again, sticking with us, chiming in, listening, uh, but this is just a conversation. Right, right, right. And we'll wrap up here soon if we've come to the end of our piece, you know, because, yeah. uh, you know, as people weigh in, that helps us to, uh, you know, to add more. And we don't want to be over the heads of everybody either. Yeah. Uh, so, And you've got other stuff to do on this Saturday uh, afternoon, Coach, anyway. Uh, and uh, we know that you're also recovering from that second vaccination, man. So I want yeah. to be sensitive to that. Last comment. And then if you have some final words, Tommy, you can share those and we'll we'll, we'll wrap to the end. Last so, comment. Industrial complex needs consumers. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um Again, I think it's a it's very complex. Uh, I would recommend you know continuing to bring people to the table, to have the, the proverbial table, to have the conversation, and uh, to you know the you know the saying of thinking outside the box. It's it's easier said than done, right? We can think outside the box once we have experienced some thinking outside the box. If we've always been in the box with everyone else in the box, that's some great thinking. I mean, it is great thinking in the box. We don't even know that we're in the box, Eric. Right. Right. 
and, and let me let me give the other other analogy. I've heard it time and time again, and you have too, with you know, back in the day when people were were poor, right? And you watch the documentary or the interview with them, and they've come through a lot of challenges to make it to some level of success. And they say, I don't even remember being poor. It didn't feel like we were poor, right? I do understand that sentiment, Eric. I do understand it. I also know that while people were living in poverty, experiencing it for whatever reason, that they either heard on the radio, saw on the television screen, or saw across the railroad tracks that there were other people living better. Mm -hmm. And there was a disconnect of what I'm going to do is I know that I am oppressed. I know that I am I am living in conditions less than. So I am going to psychologically blind myself to that and attach myself with the love in the community, right? The fellowship of the community. The community came together. We protected ourselves. We leveraged our resources, be it sugar or, or milk, not cheese and all that good stuff. But we were in the box. We were in that box of a community looking outside, not experiencing it, looking outside, man, how did they get that? Right. And and why don't I have it? And then there are some other energies that come out of that to a point as a collective culture, I'm going to get it. Right. I'm going to get it and I'm going to protest. I'm going to speak out. I'm going to chip away. And if it's not me, I'm going to educate my children and younger generation to chip away, chip away and do it. But yeah, when we were, when we were poor, we, we knew we were right. We knew right. We were this right. system. So right. part of that is that tribalism of understanding the past, learning from the past and, and trying to work toward a future that you cannot achieve alone. Mm. Can't achieve it alone. Those are my final thoughts, my friend. Well, I love that. And I would say that it's one thing to be happy in your community and just seeing somebody else over there that's living, quote unquote, a better life. But it's another thing when they don't just stay over there. Okay. They actually start moving you around because they say, hold up. Uh, No, we're not just happy over here. We like where you at. So we push you out of where you at and we occupy it. Or we actually need a highway to get more conveniently to other places in the country. So if you don't mind, we just going to drop this highway in the middle of your neighborhood. And so those are the things that I think that create uh, problems for us. Uh, I think you and I have identified some challenges that we're facing. I think that we're saying that the answers aren't easy uh, and uh, and to try to go at the answers can be even exhausting. But we can't give up on this fight and give up on our communities, uh, our country and the world. And so, Tommy, I always, as usual, man, enjoy our conversation, this diversity conversation. We want to thank those of you that joined us today. And we want to tell you to come back next week. Bring uh, some friends to the table. If there's topics that you want us to weigh in on and talk about, Tommy and I are both very open to that. 
And uh, we'll look forward to uh, joining you again next week. Tommy, have a great day, man. Thank Stay you safe. Get With some rest. Yes, sir. <laughs> Bye now.